Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. And uh, I'm Phil Dark, your host. Got with me my co-host and brother in arms, Brandon Stiver. As I said, actually, we just got back from Think Orphan or Think Orphan. We just got back from the CAFO Summit. And talking to people there, I think it's now shifted where I am the co-host to you as the host, Brandon. So I don't know how that all that works, or if it's just we're both co-hosts. I don't know how it works. Whatever the case, we're together in this. We're and here. we did just get back from CAFO Summit. And uh how was how was your week there, man? Yeah, Atlanta was great. I loved getting to see people. I think that that's the that that's the the biggest part about KFO Summit is seeing in person, walking the hallways and running into people. You know, including people that we've had on the show. You know, I remember going down the stairs and I said, "Oh, there's Jamie, Jamie Finn, who was on the show," and not even realizing to her back to me was Tori Hope Peterson, and they were talking. So you know, stuff like that where you just kind of get to insert yourself and be like, "Hey, we're not on Zoom. Here we are, standing in a church hallway." You know. Uh, reconnecting with people. Um, so that was good. I just felt like whether it was some were scheduled, some weren't, but it was just kind of one meeting after the next and uh, just getting to connect with people, including connecting with listeners or people that have even uh, done some of our e-courses. Um, so it's been it's been great. I mean, I, I, I really loved, I, I will say, and I'm disappointed. I don't say this as like a badge of honor or anything. I basically miss like all the programming. I didn't get into any general sessions. I wanted to hear Jackie Hill Perry. You know, I wanted to hear, you know, Peter, who we had on the show last week. Like, I wanted to hear these people, but it was just meeting after meeting, meal after meal with other people. Uh, but but that's good because that's what it's all about. It's about that building that community. It's about connecting with one another, uh, finding points to collaborate. So, so yeah, how about you, man? How was, how was KFO Summit? Pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's funny. I get home and people say, "Oh, so what did you learn? What was the what were the, like the takeaways you learned from the from the sessions and from the breakouts?" And I just said, kind of similar to you, I actually heard Peter for about half of his. Then I had to get off to another. And I mean, I heard his whole time, and then I know his time he did with Jason Johnson as well. Apparently, they did like a stand up show to, to get you know stand up comedy show together, and I, I missed a lot of that. But but it was so cool to just like you said, just to hear him speaking and. And to see the people, same thing happened. I mean, it's just, you walk the hall. And I love that hallway, that church where we were, Johnson Ferry Baptist in uh, in Atlanta. They have basically just that one hallway. And it reminded me actually of my law school days where it was just this one hallway where you run into everyone because everything was an offshoot from that. So just everyone congregates in there, you're walking. And I think the longer, we, you and I both know this, the longer we do this, the more people we know. So now that it's been you know 14 years of, of KFOs that I've been going to, I guess 13 or 14, I know people... Like and there, it's a family reunion. It's just a fun family reunion where we're able to meet with different people. And the more we do this to get to know these different people and uh, went to some dinners and we were at a couple of those dinners together doing the intensives doing, you know, that was the one thing I did spend the whole day doing the intensive of the transition to family care uh, simulation lab and emceeing that being able to just see these people really diving in deep to these issues we're talking about was so cool because we're growing as far as more and more people are understanding these issues. And then we're going to be getting into a lot of these issues today in this conversation um, uh, with reimagine orphan care, which is such a, such a good, these like three, like super short videos that are like as chock full of really good stuff. I think, I don't know that they could have packed them anymore. So we're going to be talking about that today too. But anyway, I want you to share a little bit more about that 
as far as what we're going to be getting into today, because I know we could talk for hours and hours about the different meetings we had at KFO. Um, right. I'm super excited because you and I both know when you get in person, you like you could be on Zoom for hours and hours and hours. You can do that same amount in 15 to 20 minutes in person as far as really being able to go deep, build trust and start about how we can work together on different things. Uh, man, that in-person stuff is priceless. And I, I was telling my my wife that I think I had about six months of meetings in about three days, right? That yeah, just right. boom, just being able to do that. So anyway, who do we have today? Yeah, today, um, you know, some friends that we were just with a few days ago. So so getting to connect with them, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's been so long, you know, kind of thing, because literally we were just in person uh, in the last few days. Um, so we've got, we're, we are going to be talking about this uh, cool new uh, campaign and uh, website and videos called Reimagine Orphan Care that was uh, co-produced a uh, collaboration between uh, two organizations that we know and love um, and specifically uh, that is a Global Child Advocates who you guys uh, know and love from this show we've had Ashley on before she's here again uh, that's Ashley Heiligman the executive or the global director for uh, Global Child Advocates she's just a remarkable person somebody that I was able to collaborate with at a workshop on KFO, uh just sharing some of their lessons learned as far as engaging the their board and their donors when it came to transitioning. So we got Ashley here. Also have Julie Walton joining us also from Global Child Advocates. Julie's great. And uh, they collaborated with our friends at the Archibald Project uh, to produce these uh, videos and this website. Uh, That's just a it's a great uh, tool to kind of start you know, conversations that otherwise wouldn't be happening as far as how can, what are the best ways to have ethical orphan care? So uh, in addition to Ashley and Julie, we got Nick Runyon from the Archibald Project on here as well. And, and we're excited. It's been, it's been a little while uh, since we had a Mick, uh, Dan and Caitlin on here to do a, to do a Royal Rumble. So it'll be good to get a few friends in here at once. Well, Nick, Ashley, and Julie, it is great to have you guys on the Think Orphan podcast, uh, all in one big voice. How's everybody doing today? Great. There you go. All right, you guys are doing it. Here we go. You guys need to work on the uh, the the togetherness on that yeah, one. But we, that's we were okay. Try to we see we, if we didn't get this all synced up, but I didn't hear unfair, Nick's Brandon. voice. I know prep, it wasn't fair. Didn't prep it wasn't yeah. fair. <laughs> well, it's good to have you guys. Uh, we're so excited to uh, to to have you guys on the show. Um, you know, and as I was just sharing in the intro, you know, our listeners have been introduced to uh, Global Child Advocates in the past, um, but this is our first time with the Archibald Project. And you guys have your own pod and your guys' own media, which which is just so great as far as storytelling a little bit and. We're going to come over to our to our friends at GCA, but uh, Nick, could you just uh, start by introducing yourself and, and share a little bit about the work uh, at the Archibald Project? Yeah, yeah. So my name is Nick Runyon, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of the Archibald Project. And I think most simply put, what we do is we create stories. We do storytelling to inspire and mobilize more people to get involved in caring for vulnerable children. So that could look like adoption, foster care, family preservation. And a lot of that is centered around showing people not only the roles that they can play in this space, but also that it's possible for their life. Like I think sometimes jumping into this world can be really, really scary. And I think that the media we create, the stories that we tell about real people doing work like this, 
give people the courage and help them get over the mm -hmm. fear to be able to get involved. And so it's been such a joy to be able to participate in this from this angle. And I, I mean, practically what that looks like is creating films. We have a podcast, like you said, Brandon, we have, uh, we do photography, writing, all, all different sorts of media, any, any way that we can think of to create some sort of story to help encourage people out there. And we've been doing this for, my wife and I co-founded it, we've been doing it for about 10 years now. That's awesome, Nick, and, and we always love checking out your media that you and Whitney produce. You guys are adoptive parents as well, which is which is really significant, and, and you find yourself in good company here. Uh, but if you guys have not checked out the Archibald Project, just kind of some of their general offerings and media, definitely go check it out. They they slay it on social media. They got they just got a lot of great stuff out there. So uh, definitely go check out what Nick and Whitney have been producing for the last decade. And um, I would love to also hear from our friends at Global Child Advocates. You know, Ashley, last time uh, we had you on, it was, oh, about a, almost a year and a half ago. And we were talking about the coup in Myanmar. Um, so just catch us up a little bit, you know, how is the work at Global Child Advocates going? How's your guys' team in Southeast Asia? What other kind of things are you guys looking at right now? And we would love to hear an update. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, the situation, I wish I could say that it's improved or that it's gotten better in Myanmar, and it really just hasn't. Um, it's definitely slipped out of the news, off of the news outlets. Every once in a while, you'll see an article come through that talks a little bit about it, but it's primarily on more social media accounts where you find kind of what's happening on the ground. Um, and really, it's just, it's still really sad. There was recently just an airstrike against a school, and there's children that have died. There's families that are just still devastated by what the coup is doing. And so um, within that, we've still been able to, particularly in Myanmar, we're about to launch a social enterprise. So there are pockets that are safe evidently, and we are still baffled by that on the calls with our team, just asking how it's possible. But there are still businesses operating, there's still a need for income, and so we're launching a social enterprise in partnership with our with our team and with some staff that we've had for a long time, um, really making local goods that will be sold locally just because it's so expensive to get goods out. And so we're really excited about that. Um, and then of course our teams in Thailand are just continuing to deal with the influx of people coming across the border trying to escape from that situation. But yeah, people are, are in good spirits. And what was really remarkable when we went back, we were just there in August and July, just the growth that we've seen in our team and just the unity and just the, the strength that it has built and it continues to build in our teams, even though their families are affected by all of this and there's so much impact kind of all around from our team to their families, to the kids that we're serving and the families in the community. So, um, just their resilience is remarkable. So, yeah, you know, and there's there's so much more we could talk about. All that, uh, that's you know, today we're we're not going to get into all the de the depths of that. We can go back, you know, if you want to go back and listen to more of that, Brandon. You know, the episode off the top of your head. I believe that was episode 175. And over the summer, we did do an orphan care and conflict where we went back to that conversation with Ashley. And I also provided some of those updates. So um, definitely keep uh, prayers up for me and Mar. And, and thank you, Ashley, to you and Daniel and your guys' whole team on the ground that are leading well, you know, in the midst of that uh, and in Thailand as well and other countries that you guys are starting to consult for. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. There's so much there and I don't want to shortcut it, but today we're going to be getting into some other stuff and I definitely go back and listen to that and reach out to Ashley if you want to know more about that. Um, she can definitely go deeper and you can get involved if there's any way you can you can help out um, there. And we're going to talk about some of those ways we can help out better uh, later on this afternoon, this afternoon, this morning here is when we're when we're interviewing. I don't even know why I said that, but you know, it sounded good when I said it. So there we go. <laughs> um, all right. So now we're going to transition a little bit, segue into, into really just the power of storytelling. And this is something that, as Brandon said to, to you, Nick, I mean, not many people do it better than the Archibald Project. And and I, mm-hmm. I have no doubt you guys are are continuing to hone your skills in that. And I remember when you were first coming out with some stories, I was like, man, this is really, really good stuff. And, and you know, it's just getting better and better. And so it really the... Well, thank you. I feel like it was so bad at first. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and in all fairness, my my bar is really low, but you know, it was. <laughs> it, it seemed to me like it was awesome. Um, and I, I think it was. I think it really was. And it. The thing is, is is with storytelling, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this, and it might have been, actually it was. It was just Brandon. He's talking about. I think with video people, and I know you are. Sometimes you feel like it, it's got to just be just right and just perfect. But I think that rawness that that came out in 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 a lot of the the original stuff and probably still um that's what makes it so great is it, it's not so polished and it's not perfect yeah. it's just this is this is life this is what we are all about and you know and we like to you know that's why we do it so raw here at think orphan right um but uh not not <laughs> <laughs> no you're so you're so right you're so right because and that's even we had the opportunity to speak a little bit at the kfo conference this past week and that was one of the main things we tried to share with people is that story is king right like you can have the most beautiful footage and different things in the world but you've got to have a compelling story and sometimes the rawness like you're saying and the realness of that can actually add to the moment and make it even better for people so absolutely so as brandon was saying as you talked about i mean a little bit the central component of what you do at the archibald project uh, is storytelling through video, photography, social media. I mean, these different mediums we have nowadays. Um, from your experience and really the impact that you've seen that the Archibald Project has has driven and has had over the years, why why do you think that is? Why is storytelling so important? Why is it so uh, critical to this work that we're doing uh, in the OVC and vulnerable children, families, and and these communities that we're working in? Yeah, yeah, that's such a great a great question, and I think. I mean, I don't know all the stats behind it, but I have read about even just how our brains are hardwired for story that when you see a story versus reading stats, you actually can feel like you're experiencing that thing yourself. And it was funny, I was thinking about this. Uh, I remember back in 2017, I think it was, they, so in, I live in Austin, Texas, and they built a Formula One track out here, right? The, so that's part of the circuit for Formula One. And I went to the race and I didn't know anything about Formula One. And I watched it and I left and I was like, this was the most boring thing I've ever seen. Like the guy who started in first, finished first, and I don't think anybody passed each other hardly the entire time. And I was like, this is, this is pointless. Then. Fast forward a few years later, some friends were telling me about this Formula One docu-series on Netflix, and they're like, oh, it's so good, you should check it out. I was like, uh, F1's boring, but whatever, I'll check it out. And what happened is they started telling stories around all these different drivers and the different teams and the cars and just all the intricacies that go into it. And suddenly, I now care about Formula One in a way that I never did before. And I'm not 
at every race or anything, but like the, the story behind that compelled me to care about something that I didn't care about before. And so I think the reason that storytelling is so important in the space that we're all dealing with, I would point to that example to say that we, I think we would all agree, we need more people who not only understand this, but are inspired and have passion to get involved. Like we need more people doing this work in an educated way. And so I just can't think of another way to get more boots on the ground than through telling a story. That is so true. And and it's funny you say that about if I knew exactly what you were talking about when you started the F1 story, because I same thing. Somebody right? said, hey, you should watch this this document. I'm like, no, why would I watch that? Like, no, thank you. Exactly. Now I'm finding myself at like 1030 at night watching. <laughs> I have to watch it super low because it's so loud, you know, and right. it's like, you know, and and now I, I went to family camp this last summer and there was this 18 year old girl with a McLaren racing hat on. And and I said, what the heck? Why are you actually an F1? <laughs> she goes, yeah, my sister got me into it. And I said, how'd you get into it? Same thing. That exact thing. She watched the the documentary and, and realized that's, that's what she, I mean, now she wanted Now She's like, knows all the racers and is all into it. She was Red Bull racing with her, her team apparently, but, nice. but yeah, it's just crazy. It, it, I mean, it is the world's most watched sport, which is even crazier to me. Yeah. But, uh, but I've actually had that on the my soccer podcast that I do. That is the most recommended docu series in a soccer podcast. Is that F one uh, racing <laughs> podcast? Which is it says a lot. Like you said, the storytelling that is compelling. It's yeah. super compelling. And and how can we harness that and say? And you're you're doing it. I mean, that's that's well, what's so you. cool about it is you're you're doing that, and it is compelling, and it is engaging, and it is getting people to say. And that's what I talk about all the time with people is is the first step is getting someone to know about that something. And when they really exactly. know and understand something, then they, if, if it's, if they're Christians and they actually see it, they will care because yeah, what we're talking about is the heart of God. Yeah. And I think people want to care. They just don't know and they don't fully understand. I mean, we're, you know, especially you guys, all of you in this call, your boots on the ground, you're doing this work every day, you know, and it, the the general public does not have that knowledge. And I think that if people do know and understand it to a deeper degree, they will care. People will care. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And then I say, once you care, you're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it comes into what we're going to talk about later today is, you know, don't just do something, do something with excellence, do something well, do something that is actually going to help and not hurt and be productive and not destructive and all those things, which we'll, which we'll get into later. All right. Now I'm going to, you know, transition here. I'm, I'm going to say, Julie, since, since you, you haven't had a chance to talk it. So I'm going to pose this next one to you, unless you guys already talked ahead of time and actually was supposed to, and then I'm blowing everything, a whole plan, but Julie, why don't you, uh, why don't you take this one and say, you know, your, your organization, you guys, um, Global Child Advocates have partnered with TAP, uh, the Archibald Project. I say TAP because that is the thing. We might say TAP at some point. That's what we're referring to. It's not a new organization. Um, on a few different media uh, type initiatives. Um, from your perspective, uh, can you share with us how this type of partnership uh, better helps you accomplish your mission, really, as an organization yeah. meeting the needs of, of OVC in Southeast Asia? Yeah, so the Archibald Project actually went they were with me in sri lanka with a group of children's homes that i've worked with in january of 2018 and flew from sri lanka to go and do their episode in thailand with my now team with gca 
I didn't know that they existed. I knew that Nick and Whitney and their teammate that was traveling with were going to Thailand, but it's not such an it's a small world moment after all. But I think for us, what the Archibald Project has done is humanize this whole thing that we're talking about. It's so easy to get lost in even the words, the orphan crisis. You know, some of our friends would call it the family preservation crisis, which I find not as many people outside of this professional space resonate with that, but it's crisis, crisis. And I think what the Archibald Project has done is, hang on, this is a real kid. This is a real family. This is a real group of people in Thailand who are also all of our staff are Burmese refugees who fled from their home and are now dedicating their life to serving fellow refugees who are families right on the brink of separation and trying to make sure that they stay together. And so I think for us, we probably wouldn't trust very many people to tell our stories the way that we've trusted the Archibald Project. And I will give a shameless plug that Nick probably wouldn't. But even as they're beginning to do more storytelling, I just have found no one in this professional space that is as trustworthy and as honoring of the individuals. I think, unfortunately, most of our clients wouldn't understand a video that we made or a social media. They don't speak or read English as their first or second language. They often speak more languages than we do, but English isn't one of them. But I think they would feel proud of how they're represented. I think if they knew what we had said about them, they would brighten up a little bit and they would say, yeah, that's my story. And so I think that's what Nick and Whitney and their team have done for us is they've told our friends stories with dignity and with integrity and with joy. So um, you can go and watch their episode that they did about us. It's about 25 minutes long. I feel like I should know that it's on YouTube, um, the Archibald Project, and then look for the Advocates Thailand episode. And it's just brilliantly and beautifully done. Yeah. You know, you said something there that's so important is that don't just go out and get someone to make a video about you. Right. That trust needs to be there. Yeah. And they, they have to know you and know your story. And it has to mm -hmm. be a, a mutual thing, not just, oh, we got to get a video. So let's just go hire someone off the right. internet, you know, and, and that if they don't take that time to know you, I would definitely say, oh, I don't, I, that would be a massive red flag um, to, to, to be there. So that's, that's awesome. That's so good. And yeah. we'll have all that, uh, the in the show notes you can you you'll see the links to the to the videos and anything we mentioned today you'll be able to get the the different things on the on the show notes there so now now we're going to be yeah. able to dive deeper yeah. into this reimagine orphan care project that's going on yeah and you know it's great because the the, re, the there are real children real families real organizations at the end of all these media initiatives including think orphan and i think what you get with the archibald project in a previous um, series that you guys had done called the advocates where you profile you know organizations like global child advocates like salam to family project um you know some of these you can see oh this is these are the real people, you know, and you don't always get that. Um, so, so we will definitely link some of those past initiatives um, into our show notes and 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 promote those, just because that's that's what we're here for, right? That's what we're here for. We're here to serve orphan and vulnerable children, and and uh, at the same time, you know. Hey, Brandon, one more thing on that too oh, yeah. is the cool. The one of the coolest things too about YouTube and everything is now the the translation is getting so much better. Mm -hmm. The instant interp like interpreting and being able to translate it and put it into whatever language. Yeah, it's so um, true. It's still not perfect, but it's 
you can get 95%, which is so good. And then from context, you can usually figure out if it's a completely weird word that, okay, that's not what they were saying. But, but that's what's so cool is you can put it out there on YouTube and video. If it's audio, it's not, it's still, it's clunky when it's audio. People tend to not get as engaged, but when there's video, people will, and they can hear, they can see the subtitles of that story in their language. And that's crazy. It's just crazy that what we can do today. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. No, that's good to know. I, I was not aware of that. You'll have to show me how to uh, fix that setting on my YouTube, Phil. Um, that's awesome. I don't think though. you'll need those. Most of those, uh, you know, you, most of them are in English, Brandon. So I, I think just you, know, you got. I need <laughs> you have about ninety-eight percent in in English. You'd know, you'd understand. So uh, I know a Swahili. I, know. I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> All right. So you know, uh, aside from those really awesome kind of depictions and and seeing the seeing the Burmese staff, seeing the Thai family, seeing the, you know, those really great media initiatives. You know, we also have this um, challenge where it's kind of like we can go up a level as far as like our understanding of OBC work, understanding around care reform. And, you know, from our engagement, including this past week at CAFO Summit, where all of us were, um, you know, there's still some kind of... uh, what we might consider having been in the family-based care space for a while, some kind of like baseline understandings that are still like a lot of people just aren't there yet. Um, And I think that with this new media initiative, you guys have kind of given an on-ramp for people to just better understand. So uh, I do want to ask a a little bit about reimagine orphan care. And, you know, this is something that you guys developed in partnership. So you developed this, you know, series of videos and there's a website um, we will link it again. It's called Reimagine Orphan Care, um, which, you know, advocates and people that are working in this space, um, you know, you guys are advocating for better practice and people can pull from that. Um, so better practice when it comes to caring for orphans of vulnerable children. Can you guys just share with us a little bit about, you know, what brought this project about? What made you guys decide that that this was kind of the new media initiative and that you guys also would kind of specifically, you know, uh, partner in developing Who wants to take it? <laughs> oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Somebody jump in there. All right. I'm going to make Julie go. Julie. Yeah. Well, I can share. Um, I feel like I came into this world of caring for orphan and vulnerable children in the. Sometimes I think we even talked about this with the podcast we did with you, Brandon. I came into this world through a route that we might not recommend to other people at present, which is a curious place. But I took a group of girls that I was mentoring to visit a special needs orphanage in Sri Lanka and just came to just love those kids so deeply and wanted to advocate for the best for them. So proceeded to go back every year. And then kind of crashed into this worldwide movement that's really being driven by top-down leadership structures like the UN, UNICEF, that is looking to close down children's homes. The language that they would probably use is that they're looking to call the world to reduce their dependence upon institutional models of care, where we would see a children's home acts as a stopgap measure. So it's being used to solve other things that it's it's so it's neither solving those things nor solving what a child actually needs and i understand that now but i didn't understand that at the time and i think i still sometimes get caught in the middle of what is and what ought to be because it feels like kids are still in the what is so even where we're pointing to what ought to be 
I get caught in that and I'm a little bit somewhat obsessed with the kids for whom a lot of these models might not work. And so I began sketching in my parents' basement, you know, a picture of an island and boats and had an idea in my head. And then it really doesn't even feel fair to say that because what Nick and Ashley have developed from there and what we've worked on for the better part of two years is exponentially better than anything I would have ever come up with on my own by far. But we thought of trying to make what can be really complicated more simple. So that's even why we chose non-threatening animated characters. They're not ethnically specific or identifiable. They're primary colors, red, yellow, and blue, because there can be a variety of people who would fit into any of those characters. And we sought to tell the story of the orphanage. So how did the bulk of orphanages get started in the world? Though research would now tell us that's a more harmful way for a kid to be raised, we don't believe that most people started orphanages in order to harm children. There are people out there who have done that, where an orphanage is a mechanism of trafficking or of exploitation. But the bulk of the ones we're talking about are good-hearted people who sought to respond to a set of needs in front of them. So it's kind of an allegory. So the first one is a story of the orphanage and how maybe our best intended efforts turned a little bit more permanent and we forgot about the family. So then the second one looks to humanize the vulnerable family, where oftentimes we can imagine that it's only terrible parents who would give their child to an orphanage. So what if that's actually a mom who's facing really severe poverty? And then the third one is, I don't know, they're all my favorites, but I really love the third one then looks at how might we do this better together? What if we reimagined all of the money, all of the resources, all of the time and we invested in local communities. And I just think all of us are obsessed with this idea. Like, I think we could do better. And we can honor where we've been in the past and say, now we know something different. Like, we didn't know to call it this before. We didn't know the unintentional harms. But now we do. So let's shift. And we're not saying that you have to choose between the kids that you love and then this policy movement but you can have both in a sense. You can keep the kids that you love, just invest now in them, in their families. And so we, it was a bit of a no-brainer to par partner with the Archibald Project, um, though it might be one of the most brilliant things that we did in all of this was to invite them in very early on. So we sat around a lunch table, literally, and we showed them our sketches and we brainstormed and we literally spent two hours working on three sets of three scripts. And every single word that you hear we labored, argued <laughs> over to try and get the exact right, friendly arguing, but you know, we labored to get the exact right phrasing to invite as many people as possible into this journey with us. Well, and I would just add to that real quick. You, you mentioned, Brandon, it being a collaboration, and I feel like it truly was such a collaboration because it, like Julie and Ashley come in as just these experts with such a deep, deep knowledge of the subject that was essential to the project and for it being what it is. And I felt like what we could bring to the table was our, our we have knowledge, I'd say like with Whitney and I, our, our knowledge is wide, but it's nowhere near as deep as Julian Ashley at GCA. And so what we could do is use our combined talents, that deep knowledge. And then I felt like what we could bring to the table was try to help communicate these complex thoughts to the average person, which I feel like a lot of times gets lost out there is when, when you're engrossed in this work every day and talking about it and having meetings with high level people, 
it's really easy to forget the average person out there is not as far along in the journey as as an expert is and that's not a demeaning thing it's just you know what you know right and so we have to find ways to communicate these thoughts to people in a way that can cast a large net and bring as many people in as possible and so i think that both organizations were just essential to making the project what it was and i'm really grateful for that yeah i i totally agree nick and and you know it's it's funny if we were to go back 12 years ago i was working at an orphanage and i had a lot of you know, misconceptions about what I was even doing. Like I was living in East mm-hmm. Africa doing this thing and I didn't even understand it, right? Um, and it's easy to now be, you know, over a decade later and just swimming in family-based care and then just thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, everybody gets this, right? Like now yeah. we're doing the movement. Like, and it's a funny, you actually go to CAFO Summit like we all were last week and you interact with people and you can start to understand, oh, no, some of these people, I mean, right. and, and this isn't like those people, like I'm not doing that, but like totally. some people are just earlier on in this journey right. and still yeah. trying to figure out, you know, how to best care for orphans of vulnerable children. And maybe they're using a primarily residential model and they just haven't been exposed or they haven't been, you know, challenged to kind of think critically around the types of, you know, care that we're providing. And uh, so you're right. We do have to have media that that can apply, you know, to those, you know, conversations. Um, so I just really appreciate that. And I would just be interested, Nick, as, as far as, you know, the Archibald project, this is a, this is a, this is almost, I don't want to say deviation because that makes it sound like it's like, it's a, like, it's totally like off center. It's very much in line from your guys's content, but a bit different in terms of like, the media that was produced, right? This is like an animation. Yeah. Like this is yeah. like an explainer video. Like, yeah. Like what, what, what did that look like for you and Whitney when you guys decided to, to jump in with a GCA to produce these videos? Yeah, you're, no, you're exactly right. This is a little bit or not a little bit, a lot different than what we normally do. We'd never tried to do anything like this. And I think that came from at least the way I remember it. And Julian, actually, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think when they came to me initially, or to me and Whitney, or maybe even the Jennings were included mm-hmm. at first, if I remember. Yeah. They were drawing on exactly what you're saying, Brandon, like our origin, like the content that we do in that experience. And so they're like, hey, let's go show somebody what this looks like and document something, which I still see lots of value in that. But then the more they started to explain just the the depth of knowledge that people needed to understand and how nuanced it was to a degree i felt like one just one story of one mom or one reunification couldn't capture everything that we needed people to know and so i i am inspired by the bible project videos and how well they explain really complex biblical topics and so i was like what if we tried to do something in that thread that is purely educational but we bring in the motion graphics to keep it entertaining and we make it we make it short we make it consumable something that people can pass and share along and isn't going to require too much of people to really dig in it's not too heavy emotionally to where maybe people just don't have space for it with all the other heavy things in their life and so we landed on more this animated series and it was uh you know, it was definitely a painful process to some degree just because it is so new, but I'm really, really proud of the way it came out. And I mean, I have to give props to our animators. They they did an amazing, because we don't do that, right? Like I can shoot a, a film, but I have no idea how to animate. And so working with our 
animators, Jordan Huseman and Matthew Fultz were, they were pivotal in this project as well. So great with that uh, too, is that the ability for anyone, like you said, it's so simple yet it, it does. I mean, it captured the nuances. Like you, I, I love that you said that because I speak to like rotary clubs and other clubs that, you know, is trying to get them to understand the, the issues, right. Cause they're helping all around the world, right. Rotary clubs are, are doing things all over, but That's they have no clue about these things. Yeah. Right. I can now, I mean, I've watched this. I'm going, I can just show this video. Hmm. And that yeah. will take, that usually is 20 minutes of trying to help them understand nuances. I'm like, this is beautiful. Like they, hmm. then I can kind of come behind it a little bit and show, you know, be able Absolutely. to go speak to their specific things that they're doing with polio and wells and these other things. But to be able to say, just know where you are in this process and make sure that you have all these things in mind. We're working with church planters to be able to show them or working with disciple making ministries and because they just do stuff and, and they'll typically on the back end do what either what the church has always done in that area, which often mm -hmm. is building orphanages or doing what's funded by the American church and the Western church, which is typically orphanages. Yeah. Right. right? So to be able to have this entry in to be able to say, here's, here's the issues. And yes, it's, it, we're not going to capture it in 10 minutes of animated video, but it captures a lot. I mean, like I said, kudos to you guys. I was, Thank I was you. blown away yeah. watching that and just like, this is, this is awesome. Just such a great yeah, resource. No, it's, it's great. There's so much that's packed in there and, and it's, it's put out in a way that's well organized looking at these three different segments. Um, all three videos are great. The third one was definitely my favorite. I think maybe that was Julie's favorite as well. Um, but you know, I would love to ask Ashley, as far as, uh, you know, you've worked in this space for a long time um, and you were there even when uh, GCA, you know, went through your guys' own transition. And this is something that we've discussed with you before on the podcast. But as you've interacted with people, you know, what are some of those overarching misconceptions, you know, that you tend to encounter after working in this space for, for quite some time now? What are some of those overarching misconceptions, you know, when you start just sharing with people about what you do in orphan care and what maybe what maybe their thoughts are coming into that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is just this idea that at least they have a roof over their heads, kind of this yeah. idea that they're in an orphanage and we're making orphanages out to be the bad guy when otherwise they'd be on the streets. There's not this understanding that actually these are kids that do have families. And I think even just including that stat, that was something that even though that stat is different in every context, um, it's just important for people to understand that there are families for these kids. I think that is probably the biggest one that I feel passionate about. And then creating empathy for those families. Because I know that's really what changed and impacted me and changed kind of my mindset around what was best for kids. Um, and so I think for us, one of the things that we had to identify early on was who the bad guy is. And I think even in these videos, we've really tried to make it clear that it's not the person that started the orphanage. It's not the people that it visited and helped build or improve the facilities. It's not the people that, it's not the parents, it's not the funder, but it's more anybody that intentionally wants to hurt kids is the bad guy. And I think we had to identify that early on so that we made sure to not paint any of those other characters with that brush, because I think that will push people away and even um, devalue what people have sacrificed and the ways that people have given their lives. They've raised funds. They've 
they poured so much into kids with great intentions. And so I think we really wanted to be clear on that so that people could join us in the journey. Um, and so just shifting that narrative around, okay, this happened and we need to just be realistic about it and how can we do better now? Yeah, no, I love that, Ashley. And I just wanna kind of underscore one thing that you said there that I think is actually so crucial and yet overlooked, which is creating empathy for the families creating empathy for the families. If we could actually accomplish that, we would mm. be years ahead of where we are right mm -hmm. now. Unfortunately, what we see too often in this space are families that are demonized, families that are, and, and that includes the US system, right? Where we actually have these families yeah. that get separated for really no good reason. Right. Of course, mm -hmm. sometimes kids need to be re need to be removed for you know protective purposes, but often we're removing people for no good reason, removing children for no good reason, and separating families. We yeah. have to create empathy for families. We have to, or else, yeah. or else it's just not going to go anywhere. Because when we say we want to see kids get out of children's homes or get off the streets or whatever, that that intrinsically means that we want to see kids get into family right. and if we don't have empathy for the fact that people go through tough times um you know whether that's economic or relational or whatever if we don't have empathy then we're not going to go very far so i just want to underscore that ashley i think that's that's a perfect point and i do think that this media you know helps to helps to speak into that you know um i would love to even hear from julie you know you've also been you know working you know on the ground and engaged in this space sri lanka now you know thailand and uh myanmar you know how do you feel that this media is addressing misconceptions that you have come across you know even just from conversations that you've had with people as well yeah I'm not sure that I have anything terribly different from what Ashley just said, but I think for me, as I showed the early ones to friends and family, we'd get to that part in the first video where we say most experts estimate that upwards of 80% of kids in a children's home have living parents. And the amount of times that my mom, my aunt, my best friend from high school be like, wait, what? Like <laughs> That's like a groundbreaking because, and I can understand the confusion, an orphanage, who lives in an orphanage? Orphans do, right? It's the, of course, somehow by entering into that facility that becomes their primary identity. So that, breaking down that misconception, we have misused this word to describe kids who had a temporary break in their family structure, and we've now permanized their identity by virtue of where they live. And then I think the second one, that actually, again, you kind of have already touched on it, but just that, oh, okay, well, if they have parents, then they must just be terrible. <laughs> just this idea that they just are these rotten people who treat their children in a way that I would never treat my children. I remember mm -hmm. driving down to you know a home that we were helping in Mexico and was helping someone kind of think through this, and they said the same things. Oh, so they abandoned their kids. And I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been hungry? And I'm not like, I forgot to pack my snacks hungry, like truly hungry. And I'm not yet a biological parent, but I have a golden doodle. And maybe this is a silly, but I would give my golden doodle away before I watched her starve in front of me. And I would, if I was desperate, you know, you'd try and do your best to put her right in a shelter. You try and have somebody that you knew and love adopt her. But if it got desperate and someone was promising to feed her somewhere different and I couldn't figure it out, I have no problem 
making that leap in my imagination because I love her so much I'd rather her have what she needs, right? So I think those misconceptions and trying to help people understand that I think the flip side, I just continue to encounter people who just have this heroic notion of starting an orphanage. And I have struggled to know the amount of times it's happened to me twice at birthday parties where someone tears up when they hear what I do and they say, oh, I've always dreamed of starting an orphanage. And you just, nobody likes to be a dream killer. You know, nobody wants to respond in that moment, you know, with, I do think one time I said graciously, like, please don't do that. Like, let's talk through, you know, you're trying to be gracious, but this, this idea that that's the highest and the best we can offer to kids. So we're trying to say, like, hang in there with us. What it is that you want to do through an orphanage is actually best done through a family and we can be a part of that in a more substantial way than just sending our money to a structure that's not adequately meeting the needs of these kids that we love. Yeah, right. And and, and I would just Julie, say, I can. Oh, oh, sorry, Brandon. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. No, I have one Phil. thing to say. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I'm a father of five and I will say um, all biological. Sometimes it, it's the right and good thing for your kids and for others to be that dream crusher. Um, because it's just not realistic. Like, I mean, it's right. not only not realistic, but it's not the best for them or others. And so sometimes whether it's misconceptions about this or my five, eight child that wanted to be a NBA basketball player, um, you know, just, there are times where right. it's right and good to be able to say, that's not the best. It's right. not like, it's not going to happen because we want to spend, you want, we want you to spend your time in things that will be not only productive, not only things that you can realistically do, but things that are going to bring flourishing and shalom to the communities around us. And what does that look like? And so anyway, I just wanted no, to good. throw that in there that that is something that, cause I mean, I think all of us probably can name story after story of people saying similar things to us whether sure. it's an orphanage or going on trips or things like that, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Those are things that to do in a appropriate way. And if you have that relationship with the person right. and you've earned the conversation to have that conversation, I think is, is something that I want to encourage people to be ready for that right. and to be able to come into that with a, a wise educated um, thing to be able to say to people. So. Right. And I would just, you know, add on that once upon a time, any of these orphanages, especially the ones that were started by Westerners, um, which is like the one that I served in, you know, I think that's probably Global Child Advocates at one point as well. It started as a dream, right? Just a glimmer in somebody's eye. Oh, if I could. So some of those people that you're talking to at birthday parties uh, and anywhere else, um, you know, it, that, that can actually lead to something. Like and and many of the people that we were interacting with at CAFO Summit this past week, that's where it started for them. Like it was just a dream that they had, right? And there are all sorts of different types of people, you know, and roles that kind of uphold the orphan care sector, you know. But ultimately, at the end of all these efforts, there are kids, you know, at the end of it, and either those kids will be helped or harmed because of kind of this collective effort across the sector. So understanding that, understanding when people are coming in with those dreams, I mean, how would you guys describe, and, and any of you can kind of speak into this from your different roles, how would you guys describe the ideal way that a Westerner should engage with orphans and vulnerable children in the global South? What, what, what would the ideal be? You know, because we don't want them to just take their hopes and dreams and go start orphanages that then facilitate family separation when that's not the right service in a given area. But what would be a better way? What would you guys think? 
I'll, I'll say one thing real quick, and then I'm going to default to Julie and Ashley because I think they have more knowledge in this. But I, as we've met with people and we even hosted some teams abroad in a platform of showing them how to do storytelling and do photography in an ethical way and things like that, I've just been surprised or maybe inspired by how many gifts people have in their professional life that can be transferred or used in a developing country or in a sense of helping develop family. And so I would just encourage people that are out there listening to not think, oh, because I'm a banker, I have nothing to offer. There like right. might be some finance skills or just things that are really, really useful to propping up families and communities in a better way that you have no idea are even useful. And so just dig into that a little bit and explore and talk to people that are on the ground about the skills that you have and see what ideas come up. Yeah, that's really good. Nick, what do you guys think at GCA? Ashley? Um, I would just say that we have to look at kids within their systems um, just essentially not responding to a child or a vulnerable, vulnerable child, however we want to see them, or as orphans, um, but that we would see them within their systems. Because we, in order to love or care or serve for a child, the best way to do that is to care for their mom or their dad or their grandmother, whoever is in their system, because that's who they would want you to help, right? They don't want you to remove them or take them out of that situation to serve them. And I think even as a mom, it's not helping me if you remove my children, if I'm going through financial crisis. And so we kind of, we forget that when we go into places that are different or different contexts or where there's extreme poverty, or there are things that we can't conceive living in. Um, and so I think just rather than responding only to the orphans and vulnerable children, that we would respond to the whole family, to the system, to the communities, what's broken in these communities that's causing kids to be vulnerable rather than let's just get these kids out or let's only focus our attention on how we can serve the kids in an isolated situation. Yeah. I think I might just add, um, I think I'm trying to figure out, I, I, I just think we have to reorient ourselves to come into this with such a radical humility and such a radical posture of learning. Um, yeah. If we look statistically, if you piled all Christians together, the average Christian in the world today is a 20-something African woman. So we're not, I just think this idea that we're spreading I saw a dear friend of mine, you know, posted something that, you know, America is the seed something or other of Christianity in the world. And I'm like, I don't understand how we got there. That's just, it's not historically accurate. It's not presently accurate. And so I think this idea that we are at this top of the food chain and we magnanimously deign to come down a set of stairs and give away our children's old toys and our spare, you know, just this, I just, all of that makes me want to vomit. I mean, we didn't pre-prove if the word vomit happens on the Think Orphan podcast. But that idea that we are somehow the sole givers and these beneficiaries, and I just think we've gotten so much of that. And I think it is not only 
to their detriment, but to ours. That is not the proper way to enter these relationships. We have so much to learn, so much to gain from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving the Lord in conditions most of us could not imagine, and we likely would not not only not endure them very well, we would not be flourishing to the degree that they are. And I think my final piece that I still don't have, I'm puzzling over this. I, again, I am sitting in this chair on this podcast and deeply involved in this work because of mission trips I went on. And so I have struggled and labored. I feel like every chance I get to be around somebody smart, I'm asking them, how do we extract that learning without exploiting children through short-term missions but how do we allow people that proximity all of that but without it being like here's the time out god didn't make some nations poor some communities poor so that i would have the benefit of going and learning from them and then coming back to my rich life and feeling more grateful that's not a thing like that's not what god <laughs> was doing he didn't make other people poor so that i could feel better about like we're called to be a part of making wrong things right we exist in an upended economy that doesn't value people the way that god does and so how do we reimagine how we engage with people that we could learn so much for, but from a position of humility? And I get that that's a bigger picture, but I think I was doing a child protection training for a mission team and they just were resisting me at every turn. Like, well, but this is the only time a kid gets hugged. This is the only, and I'm like, hey, why doesn't that make you mad? This is the thing. We're content with that. They get hugged once a year by a strange man. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't treat Ashley's kids, Nick's kids that way. Like, that's weird. And so, again, I'm more protective of my golden doodle than that. I don't let everybody pet her because sometimes they just don't like them. You know, whatever. So why are we treating other people's children different than how we would treat ours? And I think if we were to take seriously what God says about the poor, about how he esteems the poor, how he dwells amongst the poor, I think we would enter these communities with quite a bit more awe. My last thing, we got a chance to sit with two moms um, in their home when we were in Thailand recently. And my only complaint, if you could see my making air quotes with their home, is I wasn't sure the floor was gonna be sturdy enough for all of my Americanness. It was, it held. They were beautiful builders that did a better job than I realized. But it's, for all intents and purposes, a hut built in a parking lot. So it's a temporary structure. But I'll tell you what, those are women that if I ever have kids, I'd want to fly back there and learn how to be a mom from those two women. Like, because they're killing it. And so for us to come in and only be thinking about what resources I have to give them and not, could you tell me your secrets? Could you tell me how you unlocked this confidence in your toddler because she is radiant. Could you teach me how you've weathered this storm? Could you tell me about the Jesus that you know? Because you know something about him that I don't know yet. And so if we were to approach it that way and then come alongside that idea of embracing mutuality where part of my restoration is bound in yours just as much as yours is bound in mine, I think we would find ourselves leaps and bounds in a better place. I'll be off my soapbox now. Oh, no, 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 that was not a so that was not a soapbox. That was a pulpit, and I'm all for it. I need to check your sermon notes. That was, uh, yeah, yeah. We should just end the podcast right now, Julie. That right. Was, you Let's just hang church. up. But we're not going to. But the good news is, you can go back and listen to that. And I encourage you to do so. That like just all of that. The last whatever that was, ten minutes of of all three oh, of you. I think it was no. I mean, all three. I think it was just it was. 
a lot of really, really good stuff. I mean, all of these questions are so massively loaded. I mean, both Brandon and I teach courses in universities and we take semesters talking about these things. And these are issues that, you know, when Helping Hurts talks about these in right. in massive detail and other books that have approached it, other things that have, have gone out there, different different teaching. Um, and it's so good. And there's it's there's so much to it. But I think, as you said, and this is one of the things that we keep coming back to in the class I teach, and I'm sure Brandon does as well, it's those two things you said right at the beginning, that humble learning posture. And to combine it with what Nick said as well, we do have things to bring to the table, but we tend to think we have everything to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, we have certain things that we're really good at. And most of the things in the world we're not really good at, as any, right. any individual. Like, because we are, we, we have things we're really good at, but there's millions and millions of other things that we don't do well. And we try to do all those things for other people. And, and I think we miss, we miss a lot. And you said something that I, I always go back to with people. I said, if people were to come visit you from wherever out of town and you just meet them or their neighbor, neighbors from down the street, and they all of a sudden put your kid on their lap and take a picture and post it on social media, that'd be weird. Right. That, that'd be really weird. Absolutely. I'd say, no, you cannot yeah. take a picture of my kid on your lap. That's right. weird. Like, yeah. no, why do you it's want to take weird. a picture with my two-year-old? Like, that's weird. And, and yet we do that all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, if someone were to come over to your house on a Friday night and it's the first time meeting a neighbor and they say, Hey, can I fix your playhouse in the backyard? I see there's something wrong with it. And you're like, well, no, we're having dinner. Like, no. <laughs> and they're like, and I, by the way, are you a contractor? Oh no, I've never done anything with a hammer or nails, but I figured it's, it's broken and you're a missionary. So I thought we'd help you. It's like, that'd be weird. Right. Real yet weird. we do that all the time. Right. right? So that's something that, you know, it's a segue into, I think, our next question. I'd, I'd like to hear from Nick and, and, and Ashley on this as well. Um, you hit on it a lot about the short-term missions, you know, right? Again, an entire semester of, of material that we, we want to get in about three or four minutes from both of you. Um, but uh, what, are, what are some ways, you know, um, one of the ways people do seek to help really is through these short-term missions, right? Which, as you said, we've all said, that's how most people who get into ministry get started. So I don't think any of us are saying stop short-term missions and, and throw the baby out of the bathwater and just say, we're done. Right. Mm -hmm. But in your advocacy and your direct programs, how do you guys navigate that sensitive, challenging component within orphan care of those short-term trips, vision trips, whatever we want to call them? What are, what are, how do we navigate that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I was just going to say, I think we've been, we've been talking about this a little bit and I think even the way that we package it is important. Just the idea of it being a missions trip. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad word, but it does bring the context of like, we are going to, I don't want to say serve because I think serving is a good thing, but I think if we could reframe it to be more of a cross-cultural experience where we're mutually serving each other, like I am going to bring something that is a gift that the Lord has given me that you could use, but I'm also going to learn and be blessed by this person from another country who I don't fully understand and come, come at it as a position of learning. And I think within that, it's essential to come under good leadership in the place that you're going and know that mm -hmm. someone is going to guide you through that process well. And I, I just think without that, you can't do it well. Yeah, I I would agree agree with that on um, just being in a posture of learning. But then, for us, even with GCA, 
a lot of times what we try to do is bring people into communities or into places where they can grow in their understanding of what is actually there. Um, and so we might walk through a community and speak of the strengths and help them to notice the, the strengths that exist there, the resilience that we see, the benefits that kids being in families brings throughout their life, um, and really talk about them with dignity, with honor, and then show the attachment and try to help people see the connection that kids have to their families, to their siblings, how valuable that community life is, all of that. And then even what we love to do, what I love to do is that we'll bring families to go visit some of the families that we engage with. And it's totally set up to where we provide the funding, we provide money to a family and they'll go to the market, they'll cook all the food, but they're able to then keep the leftovers of a meal that they've prepared for a family. Because typically a family that's just arrived off the flight is not gonna eat a ton of their food. So they're gonna have a lot of extra food for the rest of the week but it allows a family to come into their home, sit with them and just observe and kind of sit back and just see how amazing it is that the kids don't fall off the side of a bamboo hut and how they're able to navigate a ladder way better than toddlers anywhere in America could. And that just the beauty of the family connections and how they interact and just get exposed to that so that they want that for those kids. So they understand, oh, these kids are good they're secure, they're healthy. And so helping, that was really what changed my whole mindset was sitting in a bamboo floor in a slum community. It just, it completely changed my mindset in one evening. And so um, we just really try to help families get exposed to that on the ground. Well, and I would add too, Ashley, when we, when we came to Thailand, and I know you weren't there, but for our Advocates episode that we filmed, and I know this is not all encompassing of all the nuance of missions by any means, but we got to go and see just like you're describing and visit all these things and places, but at no point were we the mechanism of giving or serving. That was always done by the people that are there every day. Like yeah. my temporary presence is not what affected them. It's the people that are on the ground that they know that they have a relationship with. And so I think that's a really good litmus test for how you can have these cross-cultural experiences yeah. without disrupting the work that's being done or being afraid of doing something that you, you don't want to do in that space. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so good. That's so good. And that's, you know, sometimes uh, I've said to, to different groups that I'm talking with about short term missions that on those on that same note, sometimes the best thing you can do um, on your visits to whoever, wherever you're going is be served. Um, and, you know, and some people listen to that, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? You're going to go all the way and just, you know, you'd be serving, and especially for a lot of the people that go on the trips there, often the supportive type who who will give the shirt off their back but will never ask for help for anything and so to say that to them they're like no i just love serving i want to go serve i want to go serve quote unquote the less fortunate and i say to them what you can learn is that they're not less fortunate than you they just have different things or don't have different things you have different things than they do but fact is like if they know the lord like they're they're for they're rich and what you'll find a lot of times is they are way richer than you are in that right and you can learn so much from them and it's not like, oh, I come back better, more changed. No, it's a, it's literally a symbiotic relationship that we're all growing together, but that doesn't happen unless we go in with that humble learning posture. We don't we go in with a, 
hey, you know, we all have things to learn from and give each other as we, in any friendship and relationship we have. And that takes a, an intentionality on all sides too, right? And we need to, mm-hmm. because also when you're served, the dignity on the other side goes, oh, when, you know, the white man or when the Westerner, when the American comes in, it's not just a receiving thing. It's a, I have things to give them too. This is amazing. And all of a sudden it's this thing that just changes everything. And I love it. I mean, I've seen that happen. Yeah, Julie, what do you have? I just would love to add one more thing and I won't, I can really nerd out on economics. I mean, to the extent that I'm like, but if we look at our resources as being something that we have temporary custody of, so to speak, we've been entrusted to steward. And those of us in the West have been entrusted to steward a more substantial portion of financial resources by no virtue of our own. It's not because we're better at money. It's not. And we could go into all of the economic theories on that. But I do think we have a role to play in going, how can we utilize what God has given us to invest in local leaders to help bring some balance back to where countries, again, you can study this, you can reach out to me if you'd like some things to study on this. But if you look at, there's an economic argument to be made that a lot of developing countries are poor because rich nations are rich, that there is an actual dynamic, there's a correlation between our wealth and the poverty that we encounter elsewhere. So as people of God, how do we go, all right, hang on a second, rather than deigning to give my leftovers, how can I invest what God has given me into a community that had this extracted a long time ago? So then what if we, I'm not trying to be cheesy about the word reimagine, but literally why have we just accepted what is? Could we reimagine and go in and what if we went to local pastors and said, Are there any single moms in your community that need a new roof on their hut? Do you need a community center? Do you need? And we're building into the community under local leadership. And I I just wonder if there's ways we can remove it out of an orphanage, which I think all of us would argue just there's not really a win on that one to go in a short term missions and be with kids who already have vulnerable attachment. But I wonder if we could reinvest that in a healthy, mutual learning kind of a way but that recognizes we exist with quite a bit of economic privilege that we've been called to steward well by sowing back in to local communities. I just think there's a better way. And I am just fascinated with what we could do. Again, experts estimate on a low end, it's $2.5 billion that's sent to orphanages worldwide. And that's a low estimate. What could we do with that? Like, what could we do in communities? I think we have more than enough, but could we reimagine how we engage could we reimagine how we build, how we come alongside? And even that, I recognize there's some weaknesses in that because it's probably not beneficial for untrained Americans to be doing construction projects in countries where they could do it better. But I think you get the gist of what I'm saying is that we could reimagine how we invest in entire communities to see even more impact. Absolutely. You know, and like I said, these are massive, massive issues. We should do this again. We should get on another call and go into all these other issues because there's so, so many and I don't want to shortcut things, but we have to because that's part of the podcast medium. Um, we are not, uh, you know, these three hour podcasts that are out there. Um, so we are going to we are going to wrap it up. And what I'm going to do here, we always do these last couple questions. We have three of you that would take another half hour to be able to do this. So I'm going to say to um, I want to hear from Nick and, and Julie on what you know real quick maybe a minute or two and what have you read watched or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love uh ovc and their families with excellence hmm. um i could try to think of 
a book or something, but I, nothing's coming to me. And I know this is going to sound cheesy or like put on, but it's it's actually true. I no joke. Like Julie and Ashley have been such a huge uh, part of my learning process, and so like that's being in Thailand, that's working with them on this project, that's coming to them with questions that I have about this space to that that push against the experiences that I've had around the world in, you know, traveling to lots of different countries and personally have set foot in many orphanages in lots of different countries and being able to process that with two people who do it with such grace and humility and hear you and understand you, but then still speak truth, I think has just been essential to my journey and I'm really thankful for it. That is tremendously kind. I would say um, I had a chance to learn from Chuck Colson, um, if you're familiar with that name. Before he passed away, I was in a worldview program that he did, and he was the first person that had ever introduced to me the idea that in addition to having the Great Commission as believers, where we're called to make disciples, that we also have a cultural commission to be a part of God's restorative justice, his recreating of the world. And I just didn't know that I had permission. So I feel like Chuck Colson wrote me a blank check, so to speak, not literally, um, but just like anything that's wrong in the world, you are allowed to endeavor to fix it by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. Like we're just not like hunkering down until Jesus calls us to heaven. Like we're a part of making wrong things right. And I just feel like he opened, I tease that someday in heaven, I'm going to get to thank him again for how he wrecked my life because I didn't know that I was allowed to do that. I thought I just kind of had to hang on and things kind of are terrible on the earth, but we'll get to heaven someday. And hmm. he changed, my, like, no, we get to be a part of making wrong things right. We can enter into that with an expectation that God will do it. Yeah. And, and Chuck Colson, man, what an amazing, amazing man, amazing story. He's written a bunch of stuff. He's done a bunch of interviews. Um, and you, we could, you know, we could talk about Chuck Colson for a few episodes, just, just in his impact Absolutely. in, in, uh, in the kingdom, in the kingdom building. And, and I mean, look at talk about a, a redemption story. Um, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, Ashley, why don't we finish up with you? Because they, they basically both both, you know, uh, those answers were pretty much answering the last question that, that have a lot of resources embedded in as far as the person that's most impacted. They're thinking on these things um, or people. I know it's not. I know it's a little different, um, but I want to I want to hear from you on um, what, what have you read since the last time we talked or watched or listened to um, other than the F1 uh, drive to survive, of course, which right. we've talked about already. <laughs> um, but other than that, amazing docu-series. Is there anything that you've read uh, since since we've last talked? And then and then Nick and, and Julie, if you if you have that one person that's different than that, we can we can re, re, uh, recircle back to that. But uh, Ashley, what, what, what have you watched or listened to or read, if anything, since the last time we chatted about this? Yeah, I think last time I pivoted to a Disney movie, or maybe it was Pixar. And then I think I also plugged <laughs> the Archibald Project because I feel like they have been so influential. Yeah, so you should go back and listen to the other one, Nick. Such a love um, fest with these guys. It's awesome. I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but I really did. I feel like, honestly, the storytelling is so... I think I've just been exposed to stories that I wouldn't have ever heard. I think even on the domestic side. Um, and then I... So Julie can tell you about a million books that she's recommended to me that I have not read. When I have time to read, honestly, I feel like this is really cheesy, but I read the Bible. That's like the only time that I make for books. It's like, I know I need to read the Bible, so that's all that I read. Um, but I honestly feel like it's 
It's been really interesting to be in this space and to read the Bible. I was reading Esther the other day and realized that she was an orphan, that her mom and dad both died and that she was in kinship care with Mordecai and how God used her. And it's like, I see it in everything and how that was always a part of the plan. And that was always what God intended for families to do, to bring in kids that in their family that were orphaned or kids that didn't have a family of their own. And so I just think it's so beautiful that that's always been a part of the story and really what we're trying to restore is God's design. It's not like we've come up with some sort of new thing or new fashion, like trendy model, but this has been his intention all along. And so there's my cheesy answer for you. <laughs> no, that was not cheesy. I love it. I love it. And, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it home with this and say to you from Esther that I love that God has brought you guys together for such a time as this, right? Like that is awesome awesome to be able to see how you guys have worked on other things and to say, Hey, and I love, you know, Nick, you and your team to say, this isn't our sweet spot necessarily to go into the animation stuff. We, we know people, we have, we have people that can do this and, and with storytelling, yes, but it's a different type. And just rather than saying, yeah. no, that's not our thing to say, All right, God, I think that because of the trust that we were talking about earlier, this is right. And this yeah. is ripe the 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 conversation is so ripe for this i think that this comes out 10 years ago is ahead of its time and people are like eh um this is just another noise that just just noise that's in the part of an argument but i think now we're at a point where we're the ship is going and this is such a simple tool that and that's what i always talk about people it's so nuanced mm -hmm. and it's a simple tool that gets into the nuance at a level that then provokes conversation, which is what I'm always about. That's why this podcast totally. exists. It's why the book that we did exists. It is a, what is a, fr a conversation we can frame that people can be on the same page to talk about something, to know that we're using the same language. Yeah. And if we disagree, let's work that out. But most of the time we talk and we argue about things and we're not, we're not even talking about the same thing and we're not necessarily disagreeing, but it seems like we are. This will give us that tool. And I just, I just want to, Thank you guys for being on today. And thank you for that tool that you've created for all of us to be able to use. Thank you guys. And thank you for, yeah. I mean, you, your words are so kind and encouraging and love what you guys do and are thankful to know such uh, huge other advocates in this space. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. It really does mean a lot coming from you guys for y'all to be, we really wanted it to be a tool that would be useful for other organizations. That would be something more universally um, helpful. So I'm really grateful to hear that. I feel like I still breathe a sigh of relief every time someone is glad. I'm like, phew, like, cause if we had worked on it for two years and it was terrible, that's really embarrassing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you for your encouragement. It means a lot. Absolutely. It's been a joy to talk with you guys today. Thanks for having us on. Thank you guys for being here. Well, folks, once again, uh, man, that was such a good interview, such a good conversation. I'm so grateful for that team. And I know it sounded kind of like love fest in that in that conversation there. But it's because I mean, I, I haven't I really haven't seen a, a resource that that does capture the nuances in such a short amount of time. Not all of them, obviously, not every context, not, but I, but they did such a good job on that. And I'm just glad that we were able to highlight it and bring it out there today. And, and just that conversation. So, so rich, uh, Brandon, what do you think, man? Yeah, no, I'd love to, I love the way that they operate. Um, you know, I was just doing a workshop on collaboration. And one of the things I said is, 
take a look at what assets you have and take a look at what needs you have. And I feel like they tapped into something that was so complementary with, uh, you know, what GCA brings in terms of just understanding of the complexity, understanding what this looks like in practice, and then the really significant uh, media chops and storytelling of the Archibald Project. The, these are the types of collaborations that that uh, yield really strong results. So I was just encouraged to just hear about that and... Um, you know, and we, we, we talked a ton, you know, this is a longer episode, so we won't belabor anything, but please go check out Reimagine Orphan Care. Um, and for a lot of our listeners, you guys are practitioner organizations yourselves, or you guys are uh, passionate about family care, or you guys are foster parents um, and understand the need for kids to be in family. Go check out these resources, um, share them with your supporters, share them on your you know social channels or, or what have you, um, because this is the type of media initiative that could potentially unlock uh, understanding for somebody that would have otherwise not been uh, you know really capturing uh, uh, and acknowledging the complexity um, of these issues and, and the need for the need for reform. So, um, yeah, I loved it, man. Any, any other things I kind of jumped out to you, bro? Well, you know, I mean, I think we said most of them throughout the interview and I've, I've just talked about all those really good things. Um, I, I did love his, I mean, I, I joked about it, but the, the, uh, example of that F1 docu-series, I mean, I, I can't, I think people get that because, if you aren't, you have, I knew nothing about F1 except that it was a you know Grand Prix racing, which I kind of knew from the movie Cars, um, and uh, and Cars Two, and I think there's Cars Three, but um, that's pretty much what I knew. And to watch it, it was it was it was in in it just gripped you, and that's what I mean. Archibald Project able to do, and but I I loved even used a great story to tell the story of why storytelling is important, right? So, um, and that's what uh, I think we we often miss we often miss is we tell people why they should follow what we're doing, why they should do what we do. And, or, and we'll often use a story that is a story that's important to us, but we don't necessarily look to the audience and go, where are they and what story will capture them. Right. And that's where I look and and I, and I appreciate so much a lot of what Nick was saying throughout and, and as well as Ashley and Julie, but Nick, as far as the storyteller, to be able to get into his mind a little bit and say, this is how we, you know, first thing we're going to do is go and learn, go to Thailand and learn. And then we're going to, and then we're all, you know, he knows the Western mind cause he's here. So to be able to say, okay, now how can we tell that story to the people? So that's, that's a huge, a huge lesson for all of us. So that's uh, pretty much, we're going to wrap it today with that because uh, there's a lot of different recommendations in there, a lot of different cool stuff. I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you're a sports person, go watch that F1 uh, docuseries. I mean, that's actually really, really good. And you'll get what we're talking about. Cause I have a feeling you'll get into it and it will capture you whether you have zero or whether you're a fan, it will probably deepen it. So all that to say, um, have that humble learning posture and use what you're learning here. And we do hope and pray that you do use it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children and their families better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.